This is Jamal. This is your boy, Adrian. Yo, this is Michael. Thanks for tuning in to The Daily Jam. What's good, everybody? Welcome back to The Daily Jam. Thank you guys for listening again. And if you need to follow us on social media, please follow us at T Daily Jam on IG, Twitter, and Facebook. Whew, so let's get into this. Yo, what up, fellas? What's going on, everybody? Hello, Hello out there. Yeah, what's, what's on everybody's mind today? Whew, that's a good question. I got something. <laughs> you got something? I want to go last out today. <laughs> I want to go last. I go, I, what's on my mind today is I'm trying to figure out why hasn't Bruce Springsteen released any new music or tour date yet after his successful, successful Broadway show? Pick <laughs> me, pick me. Mike, Michael raises his hand. <laughs> I think I know the answer. What's the answer, Mike? I, th- I think the answer is is because, um, as far as, I don't know about the, the show. Well, actually, I know, I think I have an answer for both. Um, for the first one, why he hasn't released any new music is he has a ghostwriter and that person has died. <laughs> <laughs> and he hasn't done another show yet is because he's too old and he's about to die. His arthritis done kicked in. That's right. He has arthritis. Why are y'all yeah. such haters? Mick Jagger still tours. He recently just had to stop because he like some, had some medical no. emergency. Elton John still tours. But I, All these folks, people, it doesn't matter what age you are when you that, still tour, you still sell out. Chicago still tours. That, and, Beachy and, Boys. And I agree with you. Beachy I mean, Boy. In, in full disclosure, I've been a, a Bruce Springsteen fan. All my life. Did yeah, I not? By all your life, you mean yesterday? Yesterday. Did not I play several of his songs yesterday? Yeah, it was quite shocking to me. <laughs> no, but I'm a, I'm a huge fan, mostly because I, I think we should do a live show. The Daily Jam should broadcast live from a Ruth Springsteen show one day. It's too And loud. Mike, and also in the interest of full disclosure, Mike, tell the people that you actually have been trying to get to a Springsteen show. I really have. I, 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 Adrian has made me a virtual fan of Bruce Springsteen. He is so such a fan that he makes me want to experience his experience. And I I tried. There was he was doing a show in New York and I was like, oh I said the next time he does a show, get me tickets, I'll pay you back and I'll meet you at the show. And he said, all right, he's gonna be in New York. I think it was in December or something. It was in December. Yeah. And I was like, all right, you know, those dates are free. I'll meet you in New York, get me tickets. (laughs) He bought the tickets. (laughs) Jamal, this fool told me how much the tickets were. And and I said, excuse me. <laughs> that does doesn't surprise me though. Does this also come with two months of rent and a car payment? And it does insurance? not surprise me. Well, Bruce didn't set the prices. Broadway set the prices, so I blame uh, all those folks who have shows on Broadway. I mean, but it was worth every experience. And don't just take my word for it. Go out there on social media back when you know the tour was going on, and everybody who had seen the show or went to the show said it was one of the People. best Broadway shows they've been, including Oprah. And you know, Oprah is the gold standard. People Oprah said it was amazing. Yeah, but Oprah also is worth $2 billion, <laughs> which would have took about half of her fortune to even get to that kind of right. She saw Jeez. it twice. I don't, I, I'll just say this. I sit in the either VIP section for Jay-Z concerts or the first five rows, and I've never paid that for one ticket. I've paid that for two or three tickets for me and my children. No, that, that was crazy. But it was worth every second of it. So, but that was that was on uh, my mind today. So, Bruce, if you're out there listening, which I know you are, <laughs> put out some new music or announce a tour so I can see you one last time. Yes, and and make sure that the tour is or not two more on Broadway. Make sure the tour is not on Broadway this time, Bruce. 
<laughs> make sure it's affordable for those of us uh, that was who are first-time fans. actually one of the criticisms, fans. though. On social media, especially on Instagram, it was a criticism as to why he went on... Uh, he, he took his show to Broadway because just how expensive Broadway tickets are. Period. I mean, you look, you look at Hamilton, it was like $900,000. Lion King, when it first came out, like, for some reason, the market on Broadway just demands that you, you know, charge so much. So, yeah. Well, those on Broadway can afford it. Probably because his wife probably about to divorce him and he needed to get some money for her or something. I don't know. Billions. <laughs> but that's what's on my mind, fellas. Jamal, what you got? Man, look, I was up and I was reading an article. And, you know, I, I, I don't understand what people would be thinking about. But this article said that cockroach milk may soon, in <laughs> <laughs> a minute, become this took a the new trendy superfood. Cockroach milk? Cockroach milk. Cockroaches have milk? That was apparently. Listen, apparently some. Uh, Institute for Stem Cell Biology and Regenerative Medicine in India, of course, um, said the Pacific beetle roach produces milk made up of protein-infused crystals with three times the energy equivalent mass of normal dairy milk. I actually have heard that, though. I was, like, in, in a lot of cultures overseas, that they tend to eat a lot of insects and bugs because they are rich in protein. And in fact, that's actually one of the, like a survival method or survival guide. If like you ever get stuck outdoors or stuck somewhere or eat trapped, the bugs. then you need to eat bugs because they're so rich in protein. So I, I could see that. But, but, can you, but drinking, whose idea milk, was it milk. to say, let me open this cockroach and see if there's any milk inside? <laughs> right? <laughs> so, it, and then I know we talked offline and it's like, how much, how many of these cockroaches do you have to <laughs> secrete to get one glass of milk? The fact that you said that word is disturbing to me. It's a great <laughs> The fact that he knows it is surprising to me. I'm not saying that word. I will never ever say that word out loud, especially sitting here with you fellas. Like, I just, it's just like something we should be saying together. I'm just saying it. I mean, I you might be right. So it's, it just, that was on my mind. I'm like, who, who comes up with these ideas? And I know everything is about superfoods and being healthy and needing more, find alternative ways because. You know, didn't there was a, a new um, restaurant open? Slutty, Slutty, Vegan. Slutty, Slutty Vegan. Vegan. Yeah, and, in Atlanta. You know, and from what I hear, you know, there's always a mile long wait to get in there. It so yeah, several hours. People and people stand in that line too. I, I've never been. I, I do have a desire to go. I was vegan for about two weeks. <laughs> I was. <laughs> you know, I, I just you know. My thing is, and I understand, you know, Dr. Sibby and the plant-based, you know, uh, and I believe that it's probably better for you. But, you know, I, I don't know if God intended us to eat cockroaches and drink their milk or not. But I just need, I, I so believe in the concept of family that I need my food to have had parents. <laughs> <laughs> But I or vegetarian, but I have tried to do strictly fish. Oh, hmm. pescatarian. Yeah, I, okay. I've, I've tried that, and it's you know, I can now. I can do it, but you know, but well, that's fish what's on is my good mind. though. Fish is good. Yeah, I wanted to cook a really nice shrimp here meal. Uh, here we go. But one of the three of us, oh, man, don't eat. You tried to cook. Uh, speaking of cockroaches, you tried to cook a member of the roach family from the sea. That's what shrimp is. It's part of the roach family. It's I don't not eat a roaches. part of the roach family. It That's is. Just Look what it up. Google it. 
That's what it's you. On, I saw it on Wikipedia. Just because you the say Google you it, say, don't make, don't make it true. You say Wikipedia. <laughs> I don't know Just because you say it Google is. it, don't make it true. So this it, is what's on my mind. What's fellas. on your mind, brother? So you know, I am a lover. I have this love-hate relationship with Walmart. And it's did you see he said lover like the way he said that love <laughs> hate relationship. Nah, you start off as saying start, I'm, I'm a lover. lover. No, I, I was starting to say that I love Walmart, but I also wanted to put in the hate that I have for Walmart as well. So there's two things that I hate about Walmart. Number one, every single one of their carts in every state, no matter where you go, <laughs> needs a front state. end front end alignment. Like every single one of them, none of them work <laughs> in any of their stores. They make way too much money to yeah, not have. It's always that, carts. That, that wheel that just can't get. Right. Mm-hmm. But my real issue is that why are their lines so damn long? They don't have any workers. No, no. And this is the thing. They have workers. They may not pay them as well and give them uh, insurance and all that kind of stuff. But I found that um, there is a Walmart gospel choir. <laughs> I kid you not. <laughs> Seriously? This is a fact. <laughs> there is a Walmart choir. And so I think my, my theory is, is that they're, the workers are always in the back. Are they on either tour? On choir like we, should, we should get tickets to that show. That's a show we should go see. I'm, I'm, I remember years ago them having a CD. I, you know, I, I think that, yeah, they do have a CD. I, I wonder if, I think they're going to blow up, and I bet Bruce Springsteen is going to end up opening for them one time. Hey, he used a choir in the Super Bowl show, so, I mean, it's not No, I said they're going to open, he's going to open up for them. Uh, they're no, going to be the headliner. Nobody, Bruce doesn't open for anybody. People yes, open he does. For Bruce. Yes, he does. He does not. Yes, he does. He hasn't opened for anybody since he was a teenager. People open for Bruce. Google it. Just because you say Google, it doesn't mean it's true. <laughs> oh my God! Anyway, so that—that's my theory: is that their choir, they you know—they're always in choir rehearsal, and so that's why they never have anybody to check you out. We got any other music? We should play some of the music on the show. Yes, oh, you know what? See. I think that as we kind of go to break. Um, Listen to some of the sounds, the joyous sounds of the, the Walmart, Walmart choir. Associate Choir, Gospel <laughs> Choir. Man, how about that choir? They sound amazing. They sound They really do. They, they sound better than I expected them to be. So I'm going to go out and buy their album. They you should both, be nominated for a Grammy. You both are on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure of it. I'm going to ask our uh, choir tomorrow at church uh, to play their song. We're going to New Birth tomorrow, right? <laughs> Excuse me? Oh, my God. We're going to church tomorrow. Yeah. Look, I've told y'all, the, the goal of this podcast is to get y'all to get to heaven. So in order to do that, we got to go to church. I don't I don't think that they're going to talk about... Oh, yeah, I can take you to a mega church, your favorite. There's several down here in Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that you'll love that. Anyway, did you know... In this week's segment of Did You Know, did you know there was a study that said, suggested that teens don't want families. 
Huh. Teens in foster care? Teens in foster care do not want families. I can understand how that could be out there, but I think it's a false narrative given how the system treats young people in the system. Uh, you think about it, the traumatic experience of being taken away from your family for whatever reason, abuse, neglect, um, so on and so forth, and placed with a strange family. Why would you want to lose all those connections and bonds when they say, hey, we have this bright, new, shiny family over here. Why don't you go with them and live? And most people... Not even just teens. Most people want to be connected to who they are, where they are, where they come from. And so I think that it's a false narrative out there. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think that, you know, there's a couple things that the foster care system doesn't do really, really well. And I think this is one of them. Oftentimes, teens don't want the families that they are offered or the f- people that they actually find because their experiences with some foster parents may have been negative. Um, and I've known teens who have been through f- up to 50 different placements while they were in foster care. And so if you've had 49 people to reject you, why would you assume that this 50th person is going to? Exactly. And so I think that they probably don't want the families that they find. But like Adrian said, I already got a family. I already got people who I think that loves me. And for whatever reason, uh, our system doesn't do a good job of finding those people, bringing them in um, and helping them to see what they can kind of offer these young people. Yeah. Kids have a genuine fear of losing who they are and where they come from when you offer them something that's different. Um, And I get it that understand that in not all cases, kids will return home to their biological family. That may not be feasible. But for the most part, I think the system has to do a better job with cultivating and maintaining relationships, not just with the immediate family, but relatives or fictive kin, people who have been in that young person's life for a very, very long time versus trying to um, get them to uh, go with strangers. And I think that was, and I say that because I was one of those young people. Mm-hmm. And, and there is, there's also another study that says that foster parents, like 50%, no, about 49% of foster parents actually adopt kids that have been in their home. So it's a large number, but we still sometimes as a system try to put mm-hmm. kids in. Yeah. And I think that one of the cool things uh, also we can kind of add this under the did you know is that one of the cool things that they're trying out now to see if it works is uh, down in Louisiana, um, there is going to be a new way of doing it so that they have extended foster care to the age of 21. But in addition to that, um, there still needs to be permanency option. And so the Annie E. Casey Foundation teamed up with the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption and Wendy's Wonderful Kids to have an adoption recruiter for that specific specific population. Just because you're an adult or a young adult who's leaving the system or transitioning out of the system doesn't mean that you don't you don't have, deserve the right to have a permanent family. So that's going to be something new that they're going to that they're trying out. It's going to be the first uh, in the nation uh, approach to still looking for permanent connections and families um, for uh, young adults. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I don't think I totally agree with that study. I, I've been working in the field with. Uh, for 30 years and have only ever worked with teenagers. And while I have not worked with every teen, uh, I have worked in 46, 47 states um, and talked to, you know, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of teens over 30 years. And I've never actually met one teen who did not want a family. You know, they may not have wanted the ones that the system provided for them, but they definitely wanted a family. Even if it was a gang. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yeah. All right. That was this week's Did You Know. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at T Daily Jam. So when we come back, we're going to dive into the topic teens and relationships. Teens and relationships. Stay tuned. Foster Focus Magazine has been your go-to source for foster care news and information for the last eight years. 
owned and edited by a former foster kid, Foster Focus is full of stories about all things foster care from the people who live it. Former and current foster youth, social workers, foster parents, and top names in the field have all shared their stories in this magazine. And be sure to check out fosterfocusmag.com for hourly updated foster care news and the most complete list of famous former foster kids and adoptees in the world. Foster Focus is a proud supporter of the Daily Jam and the men behind the show, even Adrian. Be sure to like and follow us on social media on Twitter at Foster Focus Mag and on Facebook at Foster Focus Magazine. No matter time, no place They don't understand that us kids are going to make some mistakes So to you other kids all across the land There's no need to argue, parents just don't understand Alright, welcome back fellas Let's get into this, teens and relationships Uh Oh, yes, yes so let's go ahead and put it out there for our listeners so that way we can all kind of set the pace and set the ground level. What types of relationships did you have when you were younger? Teenage age. Teenage? Teen, around your formative years. You know, I, let me start by saying this. I, th- I think that, te- that relationships are important. And I think that, you know, we as human beings need to recognize that um, relationships are, are really essential to our lives and, and who we are. And so I think if we kind of start with that belief, you know, as adults, you know, it'll help us to kind of um, talk about this topic a little bit better, or understand, you know, some of the things that we actually may kind of come up with in this topic. Um, relationships are essential. Everything else in my mind is really just a derivative of that relationship. So as a teen, you know, I think that was one of the funnest periods of, of my life. And I had um, a lot of different types of relationships as a teen. I had, you know, a lot of friendships, you know, you know, uh, with some really, really good friends that are still friends today. Um, many of them, you know, of course, had some romantic relationships. I don't know if you knew, but back in the day, oh, your boy was a... They did a movie about your childhood, didn't they? I know. No, shut up. <laughs> I think What's it was, the movie? It's called Jungle Book. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was your life story. <laughs> Being all tall and light skinned like a giraffe and all. That's not, it's not about you and your family. Oh, you, you was talking about you know roaches that you eat for <laughs> earlier. <laughs> <laughs> For the right, I never said that I ate roaches. <laughs> Just yeah. that. That's only because you're too possible. tall to bend over and, and, <laughs> and get to. Just because you're vertically challenged. <laughs> but if one crawled up a tree and you got it on that leaf, you wouldn't spit it out, I bet. <laughs> Okay, to give some context to this, uh, this was a while ago, Adrian, in our text thread one time, uh, called Jamal a giraffe, because he is rather tall, he's about 
seven feet 13 or something like that. <laughs> and, uh, and he is light skinned. So six, he has six, the color the of the, uh, of a giraffe. You're missing some very important parts of the story that we, that we, that we forgot. <laughs> so there was a story out of Columbus that I was reading in this particular meeting that I was in because the meeting was kind of counterproductive uh, <laughs> while we were there. And I was reading this story and it said that, um, there was, I believe it was out of the Columbus Zoo. They it had, was. Yeah, there was a death at the zoo. And the, <laughs> oh, my God, this is breaking back. <laughs> <laughs> and as a, there was a, and so I sent a text message in our text thread, and I said, Jamal, I am so sorry. I had no idea, you know. And he was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, I heard that there was a death at the, death at the Columbus Zoo. <laughs> no, he said, I heard there was a death in your family. In your family, yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, well, shit, that's news to me. <laughs> and he's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, they lost the giraffe at the Columbus Zoo. And, and this, this was the meeting that I was in, too, yes, right? This was I literally had to get up and walk out of the meeting. And we were in it. It was an all-glass yes. room. And so I literally had to walk around the corner because I could not hold it. I, I mean... And so that that just stuck, you yes, know, <laughs> from that day forth. Yes, and there have been many, many, many jokes, um, you know, about that. But um, anyway, so back, yeah, <laughs> back to relationships. So Which is, this is our relationship. Yeah, this is, yeah. Our, this is a part of our, yeah. our relationship, our friendship. And so, uh, but as a teen, I, I really did. I had like a lot of really, really cool relationships, you know, um, uh, both with friends and also um, romantic relationships. Because back in the day. Your boy was a player. But, hey, I don't want to be a player no more. Was that a rap line? I'm not Big a player. Pun. I just yeah. crush a lot. Exactly. Big pun. <laughs> Ladies and out Big there. did crush. He was huge. I, well, just to let all the uh, single ladies know out there, I am single, but. But that, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> if you want to know Michael's Christian Mingle profile account. My Christian? No. <laughs> Look up Dark Central's Love. <laughs> oh, man. I, I, I thought you was going to tell, tell him what I told y'all my Christian Mingle profile name is. Oh, Don't do that. Yeah. No. <laughs> Then we got to get a few more episodes in before we go there. Anyway, (laughs) Jamal, what about your? Oh man, so yeah, relationships as a teen. I mean, I was, I was, I was, I was trying to be the popular guy. Um, I was, I was easy for me to make friends, even with the multiple school moves, um, because that was a challenge I had as a teen. Was all the multiple moves and placement and having to constantly learn how to meet new people and meet new friends. Um, so there was a lot of other relationships that I had, I know were very superficial. Yeah. Um, very few people that I could actually call friend. Yep. Um, but they were there. I think it's a, it's, it's a very good point that you make Jamal and something that I have been reflecting on a lot as we've been preparing, um, for this show, uh, this particular episode is that when I was younger, it, I did not have a lot of those significant relationships because of all the placements, because we either, I was bam- bouncing between literally my biological family or our foster home, so on and so forth. Relationships with family was broken. Relationships at school weren't that because you always change schools, but now it's a huge skill set. 
Um, what was once a deficit is something that I'm really, really good at now, which is building relationships, you know, here in my adulthood. And I just think that that's very interesting how you can go through some very traumatic stuff as you're younger or go through some, um, some issues like that and then come out on the other side and this aspect of and be really good at building relationships. And I think it's because you recognize just how hard it was when you're younger in some of the most critical and formidable years of your life. Mm -hmm. And there's two things that, that strike me uh, that's interesting about this particular exchange. One is uh, the difference between, you know, when you grow up in foster care, when you don't grow up in foster care, sometimes your experiences could be very different. And so making sure that our listening audience kind of recognize that there will be some unique uh, differences between young people who grow up in foster care and those who don't. But also the second thing is that uh, even though both of you did have that experience, your ability to develop relationships, um, you've actually learned something from that. And so while that may not be true for every single young person who grew up in the foster care system, your experience definitely has given you, um, you know, some skill sets around developing relationships that you guys can kind of use today. And it's something yeah, that definitely. we that we actually uh, encourage young people um, about as well. And I remember uh, particularly when again, like we were in San Antonio, all three of us last year, and we had a lot of young people come up to us and express to us things that they were going through right. in their particular life. And after one of our sessions that we got done speaking, we almost couldn't get to our next spot because we actually were in the hallway and we had a few young people who were up talking to us about the, the types of relationships they were having. One young lady was talking about the relationship, she, the, she, the broken relationship she had with her dad. Mm -hmm. Another was talking about broken relationships that she had with some friends or family and stuff like that. And so I just, I think our ability now to kind of reflect and remember what it was like to be in their shoes and kind of how we got through that is uh, something that, again, we can use as an asset. Yeah, and we see that it, how important it is to have those connections to people. Um, even on, on a, a business status or a business level, um, even connecting to, you know, those people who we feel are at a higher status than us, financial status, that we can learn something from them and not be afraid to approach them. Um, but we do see, and I think that's, that's one thing, I, like you said, Mike, I cultivated growing up and now that we're at this I'm at this stage in almost 40 yeah relationships are it they mean a lot to me and the genuine relationships yeah. mean They're, they the, are the, the foundation world. I think that it's something for you listeners out there um, one of the things especially if you're in the child welfare profession and no matter what role that you play or position that you play is to remember that a uh, young people who are coming into the system, this system, they're actually kind of forced to grow up faster than they have to or should um, because they are dealing with CASAs and caseworkers and lawyers and judges and biological families and, and the system. And so they are exposed to an adult world about relationships. So actually, I would take, I would actually say that that is an asset that you should learn to cultivate. Like kids aren't blind. Kids aren't stupid. Um, they are forced to grow up and mature. And so there are a lot of things that I have learned growing up in the system. Now that we've talked about relationships in that aspect, uh, being let's put our teen hat on specifically. What were some of the restrictions that you had or what were some of the things that you went through or behaviors that you had when you were a teen when it came to trying to cultivate relationships, whether they were romantic or otherwise? Because, I mean, teenagers are going to be rebellious. Teenagers are going to take those risky behaviors, um, and they're going to go out there and do it in the name of relationships, even <laughs> if it's hanging out with the, their friends or hanging out with their crush. I mean, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's very true. I, I think that I was I was lucky um, in a sense that I grew up, I think, in um, I think a part of it was maybe the generation that I grew up in, but also who I grew up by. So I was actually adopted by a uh, my my maternal great aunt. So my mother's aunt. And so the interesting thing is she was older. She was 50 when she had me uh, or when she adopted me. She was also um, 
so she was a little bit older, obviously. And when I went through adolescence, she was going through like, you know, she was older and went through kind of menopause, you know, and things like that. And so, you know, that was a very interesting <laughs> mix <laughs> while I was. <laughs> and so I probably did not have as many restrictions as a lot of teenagers you know, had, you know, kind of being raised by a grandmother type figure or something. So, um, so yes, I I didn't really have a whole lot of, and so it was interesting because that impacted my parenting. And so, you know, my children, when they were teenagers, um, didn't have a a lot of restrictions. You know, I really trusted them. A lot of it was really based on our relationship. Uh, and because I trusted them, you know, I gave them probably more freedom and latitude than some parents, you know, made me interested in giving. Well, you didn't go through menopause either. (laughs) No, I wasn't going through menopause at the time that they were going through adolescence. (laughs) That's coming up though. (laughs) Oh man. Um, I, I mean, it really depends on which which home I was in when you talk about restrictions. Or permissions, um, though. I mean, like, freedoms. I guess freedoms is not, a better word. Yeah. But you know what? Restrictions the, the most freedom I had, um, I can honestly, that I can think about, was in the very last placement I had, which was the longest placement. And <clears throat> the fact that he was a single father and a, a player at the same time, because um, he was never married. He was never married, and... You know, I sat back and, and watched, right? He he was he. So there was a thing. There was some things that I I got from him, but there was also things that um, we were able to talk about uh, as far as it was a relationship and it pertained to other women or just you know young ladies. Um, to the fact that he also told on me one day. I got a phone call from a young lady, and uh, he said her. She she said a he said a different name and it wasn't her. So when I picked up the phone, yeah, I had to do some uh, damage control on that. Um, and then he told me, make sure you get your women in check. Um, wow. So so, <laughs> so I mean, it, so it, as far as far as restrictions um, with this particular home, I didn't have a lot. Um, but one thing he did ta- he taught me was make sure that you really look at the value of the relationship, whether it be the homies that I was hanging with or the um, relationships of the opposite sex. (laughs) I think uh, relationships are very difficult for young people in general to try to navigate, cultivate, and build because I understand that parents are trying to safeguard their uh, their children. I understand that systems are trying to protect children. Um, But at the same time, normal adolescents um, suggest in all studies and all research says that social development is the, is the centerpiece of relationships and your relationships with your peers, relationships with the opposite sex, relationships with the same sex, relationships with uh, anyone that you come in contact with. And I think that one of the important things that we have to do as we begin to look at um, look at how what approaches that we take is to not always look at it from the lens of this is how I grew up so this is the approach that I'm going to take whether some um, people take the approach well my parents were very very restrictive so therefore I'm going to be very very lax or my parents were very very lax and I knew what I did when I was younger so I'm going to be very very restrictive and I really think that it's something to a point that Mike made about kind of finding that balance and actually building that relationship with that particular young person and seeing the strengths that they bring to the table as well as what they can um uh, the trust factor that you can build with them. 
So I got a question for Mike because he has he's been through um, this part of parenting, and as a father of a daughter who's nowhere near dating age, ain't nobody gonna want her anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I love her though. He's crazy. Well, I mean, she's she's gonna be a handful. No, I was gonna say she's not gonna take what, no stuff. Right. What What did you tell? your daughter when it came to heartbreaks and relationships like what advice did you give her yeah she actually went through uh, a heartbreak uh, in high school um, and it was a very interesting time being a single dad you know as well and so I think I tried to keep an open relationship with with both of my children um, their whole lives you know kind of working with teenagers and specializing quote unquote in that particular population in my my job um, I found it uh, sometimes difficult to um, be the expert on teens, but then also try to parent because yep. there's a different set of expectations and you know what you have for your children and it's things like that. It's different. It's yours. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, it, it feels different. It's one thing to tell people, you know, you should try this, you know, and it's a different thing to actually, you know, practice what you preach um, in those particular situations. But there, there were a couple. Of th- I mean, there were obviously it was you know, multiple conversations. But one of the things that I tried to help her to understand is that you know whoever you decide to be with, you need to be comfortable you know, being yourself, you know, don't feel like you need to kind of change, um, around that individual, you know, being able to kind of have your own opinions, even if they differ from, you know, somebody that you're interested in. Um, and so she was raised to kind of be strong and and was able to do that. I think for the most part, um, there's some commercials, um, that uh, the um, for for foster care and adoption, um, and there's one particular one where it's a single dad and there's a breakup, and there's like it's multiple choice parenting, <laughs> <I don't remember. laughs> and your daughter just comes home, you know, what do you do? And there's like three different funny things that he actually did, um, but I was just really there for her. You know, I, I just, it's kind of hard to prepare for that, mm-hmm. honestly. Um, you can have conversations, but it's still going to come. It's still going to hurt, and you're yeah. not going to be able to kind of take that away, um, that experience. But, you know, I kind of always taught her that, you know, it's just another experience that we can kind of learn from. I'm here for you whenever you want to talk. I'll sit here and cry with you. You know, I'll hold you. Whatever you need me to do, I'm going to kind of be there. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to say, I told you so. He yeah. wasn't no good anyway. I told yeah. you. I knew it from the beginning. You know, I remember one time her, uh, when she went to her junior prom, she went with a guy uh, named Christian, who oh, is the person. Oh, you're names out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Christian if he's listening to this podcast. And uh, he, you know, he came to kind of get her and stuff like that. And we took all the pictures and, you know, I, I took him to the side and I was like, um, son, you know what your name mean? And he said, yes, sir. <laughs> I said, you better act like a Christian tonight. <laughs> I didn't have my boys, you know, like, uh, like bad, bad boys, boys, yeah, to pull out the guns on them. So I had to improvise. Mike had the hammer ready. <laughs> I think I you ready. mentioned a great point that I think that is so very, very hard for parents, whether it be foster parents, guardians, kinship care providers, whoever, um, is not being judgmental. Because 
it's very hard as someone who is taking care of uh, young people that you want the best for them and you kind of want to always protect and insulate them. And when they go out there and make decisions, sometimes you know that they're going to make those bad decisions and you know that ex, ex dude or ex girl is not the right one for him or her. But you have to kind of let them go through that own experience themselves. And it's very, very, very hard. And I think that's something that um, in this new era of parenting, that we have to be more open, that young people are going to make their own decisions, whether it be with their body or whether it be with their time or their decisions, and that we have to be as supportive as possible. Um, I call it being an unconditional support. It's something that I've always taught the young girls in my life, that no matter what, I'm your unconditional supporter. There's nothing that you could ever do um, that you would have to fear my judgment. Now, I may be upset or I may be disappointed, all that kind of stuff, but you never have to worry about my unconditional support for you and the decisions that you make. Yeah, I think that's important. That's valuable. Teens need to know that. So what other approaches should we be taking when it comes to young people and helping them to build healthy relationships? I think one of the approaches that I try to be mindful of is just modeled, modeled behavior, especially when it comes to me and my wife and then what, you know, the kids see and then just the friends that come over to the house that they see that the relationships are genuine. It is reciprocal. It's something that is uh, a two-way street. Because as I as I watch my oldest son, who sometimes thirsts for attention or thirsts for that relationship of peers, I don't. From a parent standpoint, I don't think it's it's healthy because it's like I'm just going to do whatever you know my peer do whatever it takes to get the approval of my peers. And I don't think that's genuine. Um, so I can tell them till I'm blue in the face. That's not how you get friends or that's not how you keep real friends. But as long as I'm making sure I'm modeling that behavior, it'll eventually, I think it eventually will sink in. Yeah. I, I think one of the approaches is that a couple that, that kind of come to mind. Number one is let's be honest. Raising teens is scary as hell. I mean, it, it really is. It, it, it is scary. You know, you want to protect your child. You want them to kind of not make the mistakes that you made. But we can't parent out of fear. We can't have relationships with young people out of fear. And so I think that's the first thing is to, you know, the, all of the mistakes that we made made us the person that we are. Absolutely. You know, I heard um, Jay-Z say, and really never heard Bruce say anything <laughs> that was really valuable, but break. No. <laughs> but Jay said on, on Oprah's master class that he learned more from his mistakes than he ever did from his successes. That's very true. I believe that. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, we are who we are and we don't want young people to go through what we went through. But what we went through made us who we are. So yeah. those things, those lessons are really uh, important and valuable. I think the other thing is that you know, as a parent, um, as someone who is investing in the life of a teen and, you know, they're doing things that are different, we have to be okay with sitting with our discomfort. You know, yes. it is uncomfortable, um, you know, not being able to do some of the things. And so we have to kind of, you know, change our style of parenting when it, when, as they kind of grow and kind of trust that the things that we've invested in them are over those years. going to pay off in the long run. Absolutely. absolutely. Like, uh, you know, it's not John 
John 3.16, but there is an old Jewish proverb that says, if you raise a child up in the way that they should go, when they get older, you know, they won't depart from it. And what I get from that Jewish proverb is really that I have to trust that what I put into that child uh, as a child, yep. once they become a teenager, eventually those things will actually kind of come up. And so trust your parenting. Right. And I think that um, for those out there listening, I believe uh, that that's a really great, great, great point. Think about your life now and how often you think back to lessons that your parents, grandparents, best friends, teachers, mentors who've had an impact on your life. And you kind of, you know, when you're dealing with tough times and challenges, you kind of remember their little voice in the back of your mind saying, you know, do it this way or do it this way. Or remember what I taught you about this day. And that's the same way with us when we become parents um, is to trust that down the road, I promise you, these things that you're re reinforcing over and over, they are going to remember. There are tons of lessons that I remember from grandparents, from foster parents, uh, from friends, from mentors uh, that, you know, when you're dealing with challenging and tough situations like, oh, how would I handle this? And then being able to call on someone and say, hey, can I just talk to you and can you just listen? Um, and I think that one of the other approach that we need to take is to exercise a great deal of patience. I mean, as, as parenting, we always want them not to grow up so fast. And then when they do grow up so fast, we become really, really angsty and, and, and impatient. <laughs> yeah. And so we, we got to remember that they have to go out there and figure out this world on their own, you know, kind of with our help and guidance. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so funny that, you know, we spend the first two years of a child's life wanting them to walk and talk, and then the rest of the years telling them to sit down and shut up. <laughs> Slow down. <laughs> Slow down. I heard one, um, I forgot, it was, it was a lecture I was, I was listening to. It was a parenting lecture, and they said, what we have to realize as parents is, after a certain age, we become consultants. That's it. We become consultants to our children, and we can only give them advice and be okay with them not taking it. All right, gentlemen, we just spent a little bit of time talking about uh, some approaches on how to help teenagers to develop relationships. And so that's really, really important. Another key that I think we need to kind of talk about is how do we as adults develop relationships with young people? That can be a little bit tricky. And so over my years of experience, I found eight strategies that are really, really effective. And I wanted to give them to you really quickly. I think in subsequent episodes, we'll kind of go deeper into this. Uh, but let me give you these eight strategies for adults, whether you're a parent, whether um, particularly a parent who did not birth this particular child, or whether you are a professional working with them. Eight key things that you can do to build relationships fairly quickly with young people. The first one is start with common ground. Find something that you have in common with that young person. And I think that there's something that we all have in common with teenagers. And so find what makes you very similar to a teen, and particularly the teen that you're trying to build relationships with. The second one is look for strengths. A lot of time we spend so much time catching kids being bad that we don't ever catch them being good. And so we have to actually look for strengths. A lot of times young people, particularly those who've been traumatized, have spent a lot of time, you know, creating and developing behaviors that oftentimes we don't like or don't accept. And many times those are just defense mechanisms. And so sometimes those weaknesses or those bad behaviors really uh, could be strengths if you actually look at them in the right way. The third strategy is to really show interest in their interest. Whatever the young person is interested in, become interested in that as well giving that young person an opportunity to connect with you and to teach you something that maybe you actually don't know. And so really begin to find out how you can and where you can begin to show interest in their interest. The fourth strategy is taking time to care 
and showing it. I think that's going to be one of the most valuable and most important. I think the best advice that I got when I came into this field was by Big Mama, my grandmother, and she said, never forget, people don't care how much you know until they first know how much you care. And so the degrees that you have, the experience that you have, all of the people that you've worked with in the past means nothing to that young person. They simply want to know, do you care about them? So take time to care and then show it in a way that that young person can understand it. Uh, the next strategy is really starting on the teen's turf, going to wherever they are. Um, wherever they are mentally, wherever they are emotionally, even physically, you know, and doing your work with them, um, doing things that they actually like to do, whether that's on the basketball court, whether that's at the mall shopping, whether that's in front of a video game playing, um, really kind of start on their turf. That makes a really big difference to them. Uh, the next strategy is spending time. You have to find ways to spend time. And with technology, I think that's a beautiful thing because it makes it a lot easier. It doesn't necessarily have to be face-to-face -face time, um, but we have to find ways that we communicate with young people with uh, regularity because that's what uh, helps young people to connect with them is when we actually have regular contact with them. Uh, the next strategy is, the seventh strategy is rewarding approximations. Um, you know, that's where the young person doesn't have to get it all the way right um, in order to get some type of praise um, from you. It's kind of like that whole idea when a baby first starts to, you know, try to walk and they take that first step or two and they fall. You know, most parents don't look at the baby and say, see there, you loser, I knew you couldn't do it. Uh, but instead, they praised them. They didn't praise them because they failed. They praised them because they actually made an attempt. So reward their approximations. And then the eighth and final strategy that I think helps us as professionals to develop relationships with young people is to undercommit and to overproduce. And so whatever you can do for a young person, make sure that you undercommit and that you overproduce. So those eight strategies, I think, will help you to develop relationships with young people really quickly. All right, fellas. Well, um, that's uh, it for this segment of uh, Teens and Relationship. Obviously, there's a lot more subsequent sessions we're going to definitely Dive into. Cover. Can't cover it all in one episode. However, when we come back, we're going to hear from Michael and his unpopular opinion. Today, Michael's in the hot seat. Dun, dun, dun. Welcome back. Welcome back. Before we get out of here, we gotta gotta do the unpopular opinion of the day. And today, Michael has the unpopular opinion. Mike? That's right. That's right. I'm gonna say it. I don't care if you agree with it or not. This is my truth and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> I even got statistics to back me up. Oh, God. 95.3% of all teen conflicts is caused by the parents. Wait, yep, I said it. I said wait, it. Wait, wait. That survey, was that done by all teens? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. I got it. I got numbers. 
I, the vast majority of parenting conflict is caused by parents. Why now, let that? me tell you why yes. I believe this. Because you know, you get, you done made some people upset. I know, I know Clarify the parents this out one. there. Clarify now, this one, please. But think about this. So, teenagers are doing exactly what they're supposed to do. When you think about normal teen development and the things that they are supposed to be doing when they become teenagers, a part of their job is to push the envelope, is to try to become independent, to practice yep. uh, independence in a safe yep. way, to kind of take risk, you know, um, you know, while their family is actually still there with them. And a lot of times as parents, you know, Jamal kind of alluded to it in the segment before when he kind of said our job is to kind of become a consultant is that we try to parent a 15-year-old the same way we try to parent a 5-year-old. Yeah. And while that approach works with a 5-year-old, it, it doesn't work with a 15-year-old. Someone who has a necessary. brain in the mouth. Right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And so there are probably a lot of people out there who will struggle with that because their teen behavior is their behavior and they're, they're frustrated with it. But at the same point is that we exacerbate that with our response to that behavior, right. I think. Mike, I think you uh, you have this saying, and I I remember it in my head, but can you repeat it for those out there? Um, you talked about going to your uh, school one time and you, the quote about the teacher about your oh, teaching yeah. style. Yeah, yeah. So my daughter, uh, her second grade teacher, second or third grade teacher, Mrs. Green, she had a plaque on her desk and the plaque said that if students don't learn the way I teach I will change the way I teach right and so I think that to that point when it comes to parenting well parenting to me the definition of parenting is teaching your young person kind of the tools and resources to kind of function as their own independent person in society and I think that we spend a majority of their young lives being disciplinarians and we, we kind of keep that system going and when they start to develop their own ways, their own habits, and I dare say develop into their own personalities, we still try to be enforcers versus rather than coaches and teachers. And I think that um, the stat, which I really think was done by all teens, <laughs> <laughs> I think that does it have a lot of merit in terms of the fact that I think parents are the real cause of teen conflict because I, and this is, also going to be very tough for parents here. Parents get very offended now when teens talk back or when teens express their own volition and their own will and wants to go something completely opposite of what we say. And my counter to that is, don't we do the same thing as adults? Like, we don't like when people tell us what to do, what decisions to make. So why do we expect a young person who's not fully developed and who's not fully learned the social norms or social cues of society to sit there and say, you need to do it this way? Why? Because I said so. Yeah. But, it, but it's hard for a parent to conform to that. Because that's not been that's not been the policy, or that hasn't been the the way we're not socialized that's right. as parents. Yeah. So it's it's and then if you do take that approach from this is how I was parented because you only know what you've experienced. So letting that piece of it go is harder. So I mean, yes, I can agree that this was done by all teens, <laughs> <laughs> but I can also see where um, us as parents we really can blow a lot of things out of proportion. Yeah, so in, in full disclosure, that wasn't really a real uh, statistic. I made it up myself. I, I mean, that's just my belief. And, you know, in order to validate <laughs> my belief, I had to put some numbers behind it, make it sound like but it tell was tell us your thoughts. Required. Hit us up on any one of our numerous social media outlets and let us know your thoughts. Are teens, or actually, excuse me, are parents the cause of most or all teen conflict? Let us know. Even give some examples if you can. Mm -hmm. And those who agree with us, we will like your comment. And those who don't. We still love you. <laughs> hey there, Daily Jam listeners. It's your boy, Adrian. Hope you're enjoying this episode of the podcast. As you know, during the month of July, we celebrate Independence Day here in the United States. 
a formal holiday to recognize our separation from Great Britain. However, shout out to my OG across the pond, Queen Elizabeth. I love you. One of my should have been grandmas. But there's one thing on the calendar we may often overlook during July, actually summer months in general, and that's emancipation. This time of year can be very uncertain for many teens in care who are leaving or formally separating from the child welfare system. Many of them will go off to college, move into the first apartment, or some of them, actually many of them as well, have no formal plans whatsoever. We here at the Daily Jam just want to remind you to check in with your teens and ensure there's a solid foundation and that young people are as ready as they can be for this next chapter in their life. It can be very daunting and overwhelming, so just begin to have those type of conversations. Feel free to reach out to us on our website should you need any tips or resources on how to start those conversations if you haven't already done so. The website is www.the220exp.com. That's www.the220exp.com. Also, as always, be sure to follow us at T Daily Jam on all your social media platforms. Now, back to the show. All right, that's a great topic, fellas. But unfortunately, there's our cut music, so we got to go. We're out of time. Hey, we do this today. Ha ha, but you only get it weekly. We'll see you next week on another episode of the Daily Jam. I know I jam, I know I jam, jam. Well, I'll jam, why don't you?